thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Well, hi there, everybody. It's great to have the opportunity to share with you today. As we begin to draw to a close today, this series, The Lost Arts, that we've been looking at over recent weeks. And it got me thinking about artwork. And in particular, maybe were there some lost masterpieces, some pieces of art that we've never really seen. In fact, there was an article in the Guardian newspaper in May 2018 about lost art. And the writer, Noah Charney, said this. He said, imagine a museum of lost art. It would contain more objects than all of the world's museums combined. Only a modest percentage of works created through history survive intact today. Fascinating when you think of all those pieces of art that we've never ever cast our eyes on that would be worth astonishing amounts of money. He suggests in that article that in art terms, lost could mean forever, but it also might mean that their current whereabouts are unknown. Here's a great example of that. The great Leonardo da Vinci's painting, Salvatore Mundi, which, as you know, as intelligent people, means saviour of the world. Do you know that this painting sold at auction in 2017 for £335 million? For many years, it was considered lost. Nobody knew where it was. In fact, quite strangely, it sold in another auction in 1958 for 45 pounds. But then after coming to light and over certain arguments about whether it was original or not, it was worked on intensively and then sold for that kind of money just a few years ago. You know, it's really interesting for me, this astonishing piece of art that dates back hundreds of years, that sold for such a huge amount of money, and yet that piece of art is about a picture of the world's most humble person, the most humble person to ever walk this planet, Jesus Christ. And when we think about that and those lost pieces of art, what we've been trying to consider in this series is are there some values and virtues, things that maybe were once considered part of culture and life and society that somehow we might think have gone missing in our modern world? And today, I suppose the question we're really asking is, has humility really disappeared? You know, sometimes we might find ourselves disappointed when we look at those who lead us. Now, that genuinely isn't designed to be any current political statement, because the reality is when we look all around our society, we see leadership in very different forms. But the reality is that sometimes we find that leadership has become more about power, popularity and prestige than it has become about protection and provision and the peace of those that are being served by leaders. We also have to be honest, don't we, that even in the Christian community, sometimes sadly we haven't seen as much humility on display as we would have loved to. When leadership becomes all about serving the needs of the leader rather than serving the power and the principles of what God's wanted to do in his church, we usually find unhealthy cultures and sometimes even very bad notions of honour. I would like to add at this 
This moment that as a Christian leader of many, many years, one of the reasons my wife and I have felt so comfortable here at Life Central Church is the humility we see on display in those that lead us here in our church. And it's something I get to see in many, many churches, thankfully. But you know, throughout history, and even in our more current and recent history, we have seen some great examples of humility from leaders. And one of those people is somebody who, after 26 years being imprisoned, was released onto the world's political stage and showed remarkable humility, something that he was known for in the years that followed when he transitioned into leading his nation and bringing radical change in that nation. And it featured on an episode of The Oprah Winfrey Show. Just watch this little video about Nelson Mandela. How does a man spend 27 years in prison, put there by an oppressor, and come out of that experience with not a heart of stone, not a cold heart, but a heart that is willing to forgive and embrace? How is there no bitterness? Well, I hated oppression. And when I think about the past, the type of things they did, I feel angry. You have a limited time to stay on earth. You must try and use that period for the purpose of transforming your country into what you desire it to be. And therefore, you had to reject all negative features in your own soul, in your blood system, and focus your attention on the positive things I wanted to be known as Mandela, a man with weaknesses, especially because I knew it was not at the contribution of an individual which would bring about liberation mm -hmm. and the peaceful transformation of the country. And my first task when I came out was uh, to destroy that myth that uh, I was something other than an ordinary human being. I had said that you're one of the most humble, the most humble person I'd ever met. I will tell you that when Mr. Mandela arrived today, he uh, said to the producer, met with him in the room, and he said, what is the subject of today's show? <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Nelson Mandela, you are the subject of today's show. He goes, oh, all right. You are not even, not, not modest, but uh, a very humble man. I wanted to ask because I think that is the, the characteristic that stands out for you above all of them, that you are a peacemaker inside yourself. And how do we begin, those of us who aren't leading countries but are just leading our own lives, leading our families, come to a sense of truth and reconciliation with ourselves to be a peacemaker? How do you do that? The first thing is to be honest with yourself. You can never have an impact on society if you have not changed yourself. And one of the most important weapons in changing yourself is to recognize that peace, I mean, people everywhere in the world want peace. But humility is one of the most important qualities which you must have. Because if you are humble, if you make people realize 
that time you are no threat to them, then people will embrace you. I find that VT piece really moving because it just talks about a man who could have had so much reason to, once he came out of prison and eventually become the president of his nation, to lead in a very different way than he actually did and made an impact on a nation that still is in great need in so many ways. One of the things that stood out to me that he said in that interview was when he said this, you can never have an impact on society if you have not changed yourself. And when you think about a man who was in prison for 26 years for standing up for what he believed in, who can say, I've changed in that journey so that I can lead differently, we begin to see a picture of the power of humility. Of course, what we've been wanting to do in our series, The Lost Arts, is to reflect back into those Old Testament stories that are very formative in the whole narrative of the Bible. And I want to think for a few moments about the character Moses, a remarkable man who's a very significant part of the early period of the biblical account. And the Bible refers to him on one occasion as more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. This was a man who was born to a Hebrew slave family in Egypt. And when his life was in danger from the very moment he was born, his family found a way to save him. And he ends up being the adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter, which means he grew up in an Egyptian palace with wealth and privilege. He became highly educated, but a Hebrew nevertheless, not an Egyptian. And as a 40-year-old man, he seeks to make a connection with his own people. And as you know, in the Bible narrative, he tries to defend one of his own people, but in that process ends up killing an Egyptian soldier and flees for his own life into the deserts where he spends 40 years as a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep in the, what the Bible calls the back end of the wilderness. But as an 80-year-old man, he has a dramatic and dynamic encounter with God and is called by God to go back to Egypt to be the vehicle by which God would release the Israelites from their captivity. And that phrase I mentioned just a moment ago is found in just three verses I'd like to read to you from, from Numbers chapter 12, which just give an example of a moment in the life of Moses when he displays humility. These are the words in, he, in Numbers 12. While they were at Hazaroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he'd married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any person on earth. Now this particular part in the story of Moses is a few years into what was a 38 year period of the children of Israel wandering around the wilderness for various reasons, as you well know, I'm sure, between Egypt and Canaan. And the people of God there in the wilderness are grumbling and moaning and complaining against Moses' leadership. But what happens here is that his own sister, Miriam, and his brother, Aaron, 
join in, as it were, with that criticism and set themselves against Moses, the one who is younger than they, but it's the one that God has chosen to lead the children of Israel. And I just want to give you a couple of quick headlines that show us how Moses' humility was displayed. First of all, he did not defend himself. You know, he could have used the position and the authority that God had given him to impose upon those he led and impose upon his brother and sister who were leaders alongside him, but he didn't do that. Those who were criticizing him weren't overpowered by the significance of his position. He put the well-being of the community ahead of his need to be proved right. But also what's very powerful is that he forgave his critics. When God punishes Miriam with leprosy, he doesn't rejoice in her apparent vindication. He doesn't see that as God proving him to be right and them to be wrong. Quite the opposite, he grieves over that, but he looks over, overlooks, if you like, the wrongdoing of his sister and his brother in that moment. Which means that the final thing that he demonstrates is how he forgives his oppressors. He pleads with God to heal Miriam. He doesn't seek any sense of revenge or retribution for the hurt caused to him. He puts himself as an intercessor between them and God and pleads for her healing. You know, friends, that is not weak leadership. That is strong leadership. And that's sometimes where our notions of leadership have been affected by what we sometimes see happening in some leaders in our culture and society around us. If you're used to the King James Version, as I certainly grew up, you know that that verse actually talks about Moses being the meekest man on earth. And we have developed through some of that poetic terms of Jesus, you know, where it talks of Jesus being gentle Jesus, meek and mild, that meekness is about mildness. It's about weakness. But actually, the meaning of meekness is strength under control. And that's a virtue that we recognize here in Moses and in so many occasions in the Bible, in leaders and people, that we have to ask ourselves sometimes, when we have the strength and power to determine an outcome, to choose how something should happen, do we use that with a sense of control, with a sense of humility or not? Thomas Merton, who's a Catholic theologian, describes the contrast between pride and humility thus. He says that pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. And I'd like to therefore suggest to you that humility is about authenticity. It's one of the ways that the hallmarks of humility can be shown. For example, this is one of my most precious possessions. It's my wedding band, my wedding ring, bought in the jewellery quarter in Birmingham many years ago. And, and on it is a hallmark. It's a mark that I can't see but a jeweler would wear a special piece of equipment, a, a looking glass that, that he or she would wear to, to see the hallmark that will tell you the quality of the gold in this particular ring. And it's a symbol, if you like, that tells us about the authenticity of what is being sold, and it will forever tell us what this is all about. And I want to suggest to you that there are some hallmarks of humility that we shouldn't just look for in those that lead us, but actually as followers of Jesus, as people, maybe we need to look for in our own lives. 
And there might be many, but I just want to suggest four hallmarks of humility that might enable us to understand how we can live authentically. The first of those is identity. In other words, humility means you have a calm, accepting idea of who you are. Let's think about Moses in that context again, because when Moses encounters God at a burning bush, in other words, this bush that was on fire but not being destroyed, he is not demeaning oneself, it's having an understanding of who we truly are in God. Humility isn't self-loathing. Do you remember that Dickensian character, Uriah Heep, who, who marveled at his own humbleness in that part of the Dickens story, but actually it was somewhat fake? No, actually, that's not what humility is. Humility is accepting who we are in God, but holding that loosely in terms of our identity in the world around us. Wouldn't the world be a better place if people are not striving to be something they're not? You know, sometimes I think people are exhausted at trying to be a person that they're never called to be or God has never designed us to be because we think that maybe others might accept us more if somehow we can exaggerate our sense of identity. Sometimes in our modern world, folks will trample over others to be something that they struggle to be. And I think what this is telling us is that humility reminds us that it's, it's not all about me. And that's the message of the Christian faith. It's not all about me. And that's a quality that we need to find afresh maybe in our era and our generation. And the Bible helps us with that. When Paul writes a letter to believers in Rome, we get it in the book of Romans in chapter 12. He says this in verse three, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourself by the faith God has given us. So humility isn't demeaning ourselves, but it's not exaggerating ourselves. It's having a rightly balanced sense of identity. But it's also about self-awareness. Humility means being conscious of our strengths and our weaknesses. It's something that is true of Moses and something he has to journey through. He lacks confidence as a result of the weaknesses he knows that he has. Yet at each point in the passage there in the early chapters of Exodus, where Moses identifies one of his weaknesses, God gives him a miraculous sign. When he says, I'm slow of speech, God gives him a miraculous sign. He takes the stuff in his hand and he throws it on the ground at God's instruction. It becomes a snake and at God's instruction, he picks up, it becomes a staff. It's almost as if God is saying, look, Moses, I know that you're aware of your weaknesses, but you also need to be aware of my strengths. And humility holds those things in balance. I know my strengths, but I know my weaknesses. I know my weaknesses, but I know God's strengths in and through me. Humble people don't try to exaggerate themselves, as we've said, to somehow avoid taking responsibility for their mistakes. Humble people have learned the power of an apology, of recognizing we're going to make mistakes. We are flawed beings, but we also know that in Christ we can do all things. That's what the Apostle Paul says. In that Christian context, humility possesses an understanding of how significant God's strength is when it works in and through our weaknesses. I think it's why as a young man and as a young Christian leader, I so love the writings of the Apostle Paul. 
Because actually, as an individual, I've battled for much of my life as a leader, aware of my weaknesses and my flaws. My personality type might sometimes push me just to, 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 to overlook those by pushing myself forward. And it's a, a lesson I've had to learn over many years. But I've been comforted so often by the words of the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians 12 that God said to him, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. In his humility, Paul found this place where he could be relatively comfortable that he was imperfect because somehow it was an opportunity, a vehicle that God could work through him all the more powerfully. But also, humility, one of the hallmarks of humility is selflessness. Humility is about freedom from needing to feed your ego and help others to excel. Moses is asked by God to put the needs of the countless Hebrew people above his own. And when you read the story of Moses' life, you'll see many times he has to put his own needs, his own desires, his own need for a bit of recognition and affirmation to one side because he's having to put the greater cause ahead of his own needs. He's reluctant initially to go back to the scene of his failure and his wrongdoing and where he was rejected by his people. And he fears further rejection by the children of Israel in God's great plan to liberate them as a nation. The great Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, phenomenal writer, he once described humility like this. It's not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. So it's not putting myself down, but it might be just putting my needs to one side on more occasions than I would prefer to. See, humility is about seeing that others have the same intrinsic value and importance as I do. We've experienced so much in our nation and across the world in this year, 2020, that has revealed to us the inequalities in our society and in societies across the world. The heart of the Christian message is that all men and women have the same value before God and therefore should have the same value with each other. That all those things in our world that create inequalities don't work in the economy and even in the kingdom of God. To be candid, misplaced pride with its partner in crime, greed, have been the cause of inexcusable suffering and pain in our world. And it's all because we prefer to live a selfish than a selfless life. We're in the generation, even though the iPod has since gone and been replaced by the iPhone and all those other i things, they're just a symbol, one particular product's way of marketing them, but they're a symbol of an i generation which so often puts what I want first. And so it's very easy, isn't it, to look at leaders and world leaders and look down upon them and think that they lack humility. But actually, we all have to look inwardly, don't we? And look at the moments where we put our own needs ahead of the needs of others. And we're challenged afresh by the Bible today. When we read, as Paul writes to another church in the New Testament era, the church in Philippi, and in Philippians 2, he challenges them by saying this, don't be selfish, 
Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. But the final hallmark of humility I want to touch on today is that of gratitude. Humility recognizes that we owe nothing. All we have is a gift from God. It's amazing to see how Moses is humbled by the awesomeness of God. I don't think we can begin to imagine this moment at what we call the burning bush, where God reveals himself so powerfully to Moses, a humbling experience, if ever there was one. And I'm sure that Moses carried that for the remaining 40 or so years of his life through all the trials and tribulations of leading a people who sometimes didn't want to be led, of journeying through a rebellious periods in their nation's history, he was acutely aware of God's touch on his life. And he demonstrates that gratitude so often in the accounts of his life. He's hesitant, but he acknowledges the honor and the privilege that God has given him to lift him from the life of a solitary shepherd with enormous responsibility to lead millions of people. I think one of the great enemies in our age of humility is entitlement. The feeling somehow that I'm entitled to gain something, that I'm entitled to more than other people are, that maybe even a position I've achieved in my place of work, in my relationships, in my ministry, entitles me to something more than others. It's a huge enemy of the humility that we're called to live with. But friends, no message on humility would ever be complete without talking about the most humble person who ever lived. It really wasn't Moses. It may have been in that era. It was Jesus himself. The greatest example of humility is that God stepped into our world to find us as lost as we were and give us a way forward, a way into a future that was eternal. And when Jesus is training his leaders, those 12 men, he gathered around himself to be the initial leaders of a movement that would shake the world and has done for thousands of years since. He set a very different principle for them than what they were seeing modeled in their culture around them. In Matthew 20, in verses 25 to 26, Jesus says this, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. You know, Jesus sets a very different picture of greatness. In the principles and the model of life that Jesus established, he didn't say that serving was a way to greatness. He said that serving is greatness. The very act of serving others is the greatest thing that one can do. He modeled it in John 13, where he takes off his outer clothing and he washes his disciples' feet. He modeled it with the people he engaged with day in and day out. And he modeled it most significantly of all when he allowed himself, yes, he allowed himself to die a criminal's death so that I could know life and you could know that too. Some of the most powerful words in the Bible are those of Jesus, because the way of Jesus is so very different. And in Philippians chapter two, some incredibly special words 
a hymn of the early church, it's believed. Something very poetic, but maybe something the early church used in its forms of worship tells us so much about the humility of Jesus. In the early part of this particular passage in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8, we read this. You must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. You know, I've been so impacted over the years with those three words, he humbled himself. Now, I've never considered having a tattoo. I'd probably not like to go through the pain of it, if I'm honest with you. Others have. But if I was to ever think that that was something as a kind of a midlife crisis thing I might do quite radically, I would be tempted just to have, maybe somewhere I could see it, three H's tattooed to remind myself he humbled himself. Thinking about it, preacher's inspiration in this moment, it wouldn't be hard or would be very meaningful maybe to put it where his nails went for me. He humbled himself. And I think that's the choice we're encouraged to make as we live our life in a world that calls for so much selfishness so very often. Because the reality about Jesus is that Jesus is the measurement for humility. If we're going to measure ourselves by any standard, it has to be him in life. He humbled himself and the result of him doing that have been radical transformation for millions upon millions upon millions of people ever since he came out of that tomb alive to lead us towards eternal life. But of course, just to read verses five to eight of that passage would be an incomplete picture. We have to read the following verses and they say this, as a result of what Jesus did, therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This supreme act of humility, rewarded by Father God with the supreme act of exaltation. Because today, Jesus is in the presence of God, praying for you and praying for me. But what it reminds us is this, and this is where I wanna to begin to land the essence of what I've been trying to say today. And it's simply this, the greatest thing you will ever do with your life is humble yourself before God. Think about that for a moment. The greatest thing I could ever do is recognize my need of Him. To humble myself before the greatest being, the greatest person of all time, Jesus Himself. To bow in acknowledgement of all that He is and all that He can do in my life. To surrender all of that, my whole life, to Him. That's what it means to live authentically. It means to recognize that my life can never be complete until it's found in Him. 
until it's given over to him. That's where completeness, that's where authenticity is found. That's where I don't have to struggle to be something I'm not because I find in him something more than I could ever be in my own best efforts. That's where I can learn what it is to lay down my own life in deference and love for other people. That's where humility really, really begins. When I was preparing for this and thinking about maybe what kind of song could encapsulate something of where we've arrived in this, it wasn't difficult to know a song we do here in church. And so many people have been singing it for the last couple of years. A song that reminds us of the beauty and the majesty and the power of the name of Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to go into that song. And I want you to capture something afresh today of the enormity of Jesus, but also the humility and love he showed to us in stepping into our world something on this particular day, on the first day of Advent that we're recognizing this year, he came into our world humbly. But just let the power of these words strike deep into your heart. What a beautiful name. You have no rival, you have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. Didn't that strike you as we just declared that about Jesus? Can I just speak to you? If you've been hearing what we've been saying and our songs today, something's been striking in your heart about the need to acknowledge Jesus for yourself. Maybe you've never ever known what it is to choose to surrender to Jesus, to, to lay aside your choice to live the way you've chosen to live and to make that decision that you're gonna to wanna to follow after Jesus. Because that's the greatest way we can ever humble ourselves before God. And we find that in, in doing so, we are enlarged in our life. We find a whole new life opens before us, a whole new future. And wherever you're at watching across this country or even local to us in and around Hales Owen, we wanna pray for you today that you will know the power of God coming and filling your heart and life. This call to an authentic life can never truly come alive in us until we know what it is to invite Jesus Christ to come alive in us and lead us to that life that he's promised. And we want to pray with you. I'm going to pray in a moment, but you could just click in the chat now that say one for me and somebody can there be praying for you. You can let us know you want to pray for you. And in a moment, Tom and Hannah will tell you about something you can do to take a step forward in that. But I just want to pray and ask God that right where you are today, you'll know the power of his presence. Maybe some of you have felt really humbled involuntarily by stuff that's happened in your world. You know, you can never, ever come to God and not find that he wants to exalt you and, and enlarge his goodness and his grace in your heart and life. And so as I pray for you, as I pray for myself today, I'm praying that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit will be with you there, real where you are. Let's just pray. Father God, I want to thank you today that you stepped out of the majesty and the splendor of eternity to come into our world, something we're going to remember and celebrate again in this season that's ahead of us. We want to thank you that you didn't consider us beneath you. In fact, quite the opposite. You loved humanity and still love humanity so much that you work within our own selfishness to bring us to a place where we can humble ourselves before your greatness and know life forevermore. And I pray for people who are watching today on our broadcast that you will just come and deeply impact them with your love, 
and your kindness and your grace and your mercy and your favor. That they can find you in this moment. Thank you that the Bible encourages us to humble ourselves before God, that in due time, he might exalt you. And we bow before you, our great God. And we say, Lord, without, without you, we're nothing, we're empty. But with you, we can become all things that you promised us that we can be. So Father, we just say thank you for all that you've done for us. And would you minister deeply to hearts and lives that are watching at this moment, and most particularly to people who don't know you, and have never yet discovered your love, may they take that step, bowing their hearts, their lives to you and saying, Father, come and live in me. And we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.